0: The winner. I did. That Osborne's a riding fool. Best jockey in the country today. Well, are you, fella. You had the winner, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we brought you luck. How about a little drink? Sure. Yeah. Uh, see what the gentleman wins. Yeah, him yeah, for me. Uh, same for him. With water? Barber. Oh. <laughs> Make him double. Man. <laughs> hey, here, here. Who, who are you playing in the next race, pal? Not playing anything in the next race. Or any other race, ever again. Hello and welcome back to That's So Random, a random movie podcast. I'm Heath Lambert. I'm joined once again by Carrie Claypool. Say hello. Hi. Uh, First thing off the top, it's been brought to my attention that there was, once upon a time, a sketch show on Nickelodeon called That's So Random. This is not about that. I didn't even know that that existed, but apparently it did. Uh, What this podcast is, is every week I push a button, a magic button. That button, when pressed, selects a movie from everything that's streaming. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. I just put Tubi in there now, too, so we're going to get some real interesting (laughs) picks coming out of that. And we talk about it. Last week we did The Dark Crystal. At the end of that episode we pushed the button, and we got... 1951's two dollar better movie. No one's ever heard of. Well, I haven't heard of anyway. It's uh, it's something. It's hard. It's another one that's surprisingly hard to talk about because there's not. I don't know. I was expecting a movie from 1951 to be a lot more sort of goofy and over the top, and it's not. It's pretty straightforward.
1: I think. What struck me is that it seemed to be a morality tale. You know, don't gamble because you, it'll end poorly.
0: Yeah, it's for Madness with horse racing, basically. It's Racer Madness <laughs> is what it is. Uh, it's only 71 minutes long, so it's an easy watch anyway. Uh, it was directed by a gentleman named Edward L. Kahn, or Kahn, C-A-H-N, who... This is, this is stunning information to me. Between 1931 and 1962, this man made 127 films. And I think the only thing that stopped him was that he died in 1963. Or who knows how much higher that number would be. That's like the Takeshi Mike numbers. It's crazy. Um, he's mostly known for doing He Does a Lot of Little Rascal Shorts. Um, it, The Terror from Beyond Space. And sort of other movies like that that you'd wind up seeing on Mystery Science Theater probably. I wonder if any of this stuff has been on there. I should look. But, uh, yeah, Morality Tale is right. It's a story about a, a bank, what is it, a comptroller? A bank comptroller who uh, is brought by his friends to a horse race track and gets addicted to it. And, boy, it's all just downhill from there.
1: Yeah, it... It was definitely for me because I grew up watching movies like The Black Stallion and The Black Stallion Returns and I read all those books. I was one of those girls who was crazy about horses and I didn't understand that betting was involved with this because I was eight years old, nuts about horses, and I wanted to be a jockey because I thought it was about the athleticism and racing the horses. I had no clue that gambling was involved until my dad took me to Canterbury Park, in Shakopee, where I kept picking winning horses. And he was thinking I was onto something, and as soon as he started placing bets on the horses I picked, they started losing. So I just, after that, I was not that interested in horse racing, and the idea of gambling did not excite me because I thought, you just lose. Every time you bet, you lose.
0: So you just thought horse racing was just like a contest of horse strength?
1: Yes, of the athleticism between the jockey and the horse and how they communicated. And I was always so small for my age. I had the nickname Little Carrie Coley because I was always the shortest kid in my class. And I just thought, and I also liked to run long distance. So I kind of thought, ooh, I'm athletic and I'm real small. I would be a great jockey. And I went through several years where that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be a jockey.
0: But then you found out that they were being used and exploited (laughs) for gambling purposes and it disillusioned you from your jockey dreams.
1: Completely, completely.
0: So for a movie that is supposed to make you, or at least the audiences in 1951, um, shy away from horse track betting, they sure do give you a nice tutorial Right off the top of how this all works to teach you how to do it, <laughs> he's sitting there with his friends. What's the what's the banker fellow's name? I don't remember.
1: Oh, what was his name? John. John.
0: John something.
1: Yes, John. John.
0: John. So uh, he's sitting with his friends, and they uh, they have the uh, what do they call it? The track, the paper that has all the oh, the program. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> not it. It's something like that. The forum. I don't know but uh yeah and his friend explains to him in in very great detail for the audience as well what all the abbreviations mean and and they're really giving you a nice tutorial on what you're not supposed to do i guess and um he wins and he doesn't think too much of it cuz he didn't he didn't bet very much it was kind of just a lark but
1: yeah, and he, he just seems like a happy guy, and he's talking about his daughters, and um, he goes home then, and there's a party, and all these kids are dancing. in the
0: house. Oh, man, we need to talk about this man coming home. First off, he stops at his porch and picks up the newspaper, goes to the sports section. The top headline, and I don't know where this is supposed to take place necessarily, if they said, Langston? or if I'm Langston somewhere, Um But the top headline in the sports section is describing who won the race that he was just at. Which is weird time-wise. Also, this is 1951. I looked up to see what was happening in 1951. The Pan Am games were going on. It was Joe DiMaggio's last season in professional baseball. But the top headline in the sports section is this horse that he bet on won the race, which is silly. And then, he yes, he goes inside... And there are 8 to 10 teenagers mid-speed dancing. They're not slow dancing, but it's not a sock hop. It's real, lackadaisical dancing.
1: Yeah, like jitterbug. Like, I don't know. It was weird.
0: And it, it turns out this happens often. Because every time this man comes home, his living room is filled with children listening to records and dancing. Or not children, teenagers, but... Two of them is, are his daughters, Deanna, no. well, they call her Dee, D, yeah. short for something, and Nancy. Nancy, which at one point, one of the boys, one of the teenage boys, calls her Butch. Is Butch a nickname for Nancy? Because I was not aware of that at all. Nope, I,
1: I nope, it's not.
0: <laughs> I thought her name was Butch to start with, and I was, I thought that's strange name (laughs) for a girl
1: like maybe he really wanted a boy (laughs) (laughs)
0: maybe she's gonna be butch one way or the other (laughs) and then the slow dance party grandma comes downstairs starts playing piano the slow dance party turns into a square dance party and it's the whitest fucking thing you've ever seen in your life
1: yeah oh yeah the square dancing brought me back to sixth grade gym class and ugh
0: now, think of that. If you're younger, this, does this still happen? Because I don't think it has happened with any of our kids. I know I learned square dancing. I lived in Kansas City, because so I didn't live out in the boondocks. But there was a square dancing unit in PE class in elementary school. That cannot still be happening.
1: No, my kids have never had to take a square dancing class ever. Thank goodness. I hated it because I was super shy, and I always got paired with the boy who had warts on his hands
0: oh that's unfortunate (laughs) can you score dance with like just touching elbows one of the kids at this party is well not a kid at this point he's in his 20s at least the actor is carl switzer better known to the world as al falfa from the little rascals and this is eight years before his untimely death over the matter of shot over the matter of fifty dollars Um. I guess he could have learned a lesson from this movie. Actually, it was something about a dog that he had bred and sold to someone and then wanted the money back or something. I I didn't look too close at the article, but that's sad. None of the little rascal kids turned out okay. It all went bad. <laughs> for all, like That's where our uh, child stars, life goes astray thing started that still continues somewhat to this day. For sure. What else do you got? You took way more notes well, than I this did.
1: This is when... So I kind of didn't really go into n- too much depth at that party. I go into depth at another party because there's some really strange things happening. <laughs> but then he has... I don't... I think it's his secretary. She's the actress that also played June Cleaver. And she... They're in the office and he's pretty happy because he's... He's been... He's going to be calling this... um bookie and I think he's just called this bookie and he's placed the money and he's pretty happy because he's winning and this June Cleaver actress is talking about how the boys and girls are in the car and it's just such a weird scene
0: yeah Barbara Billingsley who played who would go on shortly after probably just a couple years to play the beaver's mom on leave it to beaver
1: Oh yeah, and then he has those war bonds that he cashes because he needs to use them to make bets. And he'd been talking about how that was some of the only stuff he had for savings. He had his house, he had the war bonds, um, he was interested in his daughters, getting safely married by people who could provide for them, and he had these war bonds. Anyway, he ends up cashing the war bonds so that he can place these bets and pay off his debts and
0: such. Yeah, he goes from zero to a hundred of betting addiction. Because when he comes to the house, he's like, yeah, I want to bet nobody. Which they're talking about on the radio as well. The radio announcer is announcing the list of him and all of his friends and how they were cited at the racetrack. And he's not, he's the comptroller at a bank. Like, he's not even the bank president. Why? <laughs> I don't look like he's a celebrity. It's such weird storytelling. But, yeah, at that point, he's like, yeah, I won some money, no big deal. And then the next day, he's like, i got to cash these war bonds. i got to get back to the track. Like, so fast.
1: Really fast. He ends up, so I, I wrote this song, I don't know why, but the kids are at the house, and they're singing a song, and I wrote it down because it's the same name as mine, Carrie Doyle. It's an Irish <laughs> tune. It's just such a weird, random thing. These kids have these parties and then the grandma is playing piano and people are singing and it's really well I think
0: in 1951 it was probably a contractual obligation that you had to have some sort of musical numbers in your films because that's what people were into now if you have one people are like what are you doing why
1: yeah And then at this point, I guess he's already falling into debt because this bookie has this girl that works for him. And she shows up at his house to collect the $600 he owes. And it was was interesting, this woman, you can kind of tell that they're using this beautiful woman to kind of lure him in and give him this sense of, you know, I don't know, attraction or something. It's just kind of weird. And there's some
0: flirting. Yeah, you, well, you were ahead of the game on me then because I w- I did not expect there's a twist coming later with her that I honestly and surprisingly for a movie that has zero subtlety the rest of the time did not see coming. I was surprised that she turns out to be bad, and I thought they were actually like sort of cultivating this romance between, and I looked it up, uh, a 58-year-old and a 32-year-old, which, y- uh-huh he's 58 she's 32 um, which I suppose you could say is a product of 1951 as well but it's not that's still happening in movies so there was just that movie with Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried as a couple which is gross
1: he's (laughs) old enough to be her father but I could tell as soon as they had this very sultry woman that he went to go meet her at that restaurant I was thinking there's gonna be something to this there he's a a widower and here's this very attractive kind of seduce she's kind of has this seductive air to her and i kind of thought that's not a mistake by the bookie he's thinking oh here's this guy and he's gonna listen to this beautiful woman because he's he's already addicted to gambling so
0: yeah yeah you were way ahead of me on that i just thought they were doing like a cute little back and forth and it was going to develop into a semi-gross relationship as the movie went on.
1: And then I also wrote down about Chuck Chester, but they call him Chuck. Um, He's, I can't remember which daughters which, Dee or Nancy, he's dating one of them, the younger of the two I think, and he's checking out everyone's teeth because he's going to dental school and it's so awkward. He says things like, Oh gosh, so long and then everybody just laughs at it and says, He's tooth happy. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. That
0: was nineteen fifty one, baby. But one of the people is t- he's checking the teeth of uh of Alfalfa and that was actually kind of funny. Like it was a good bit of physical comedy on Alfalfa's part as he's trying to talk <laughs> through this guy's fingers in his mouth. <laughs> and it made me laugh.
1: Yeah, and Grandma's there, and I'm guessing that she's the late wife's mother. Her name is Sarah. She seems to be around a lot. Um, and from there we go on to he's stealing money from the bank.
0: Yeah, we don't get a lot of information about um, his wife that passed. Oh obviously, she passed away at some point, and we see a picture, a framed photo on a desk or a dresser at some point, but they don't talk about I was surprised they weren't like, oh, since she fell in that mine or whatever, I don't know, however it was she died, they don't really go into it at all. And yeah, he starts, uh, he's very quickly losing instead of winning. Well, I guess he wins a couple, but then he loses more, and then he loses, uh, wins and loses, but he's falling behind, he's going into debt, he owes his bookie more money, so he starts stealing money from the vault in the safe at the bank that he works at thinking well but then I'll win big and I can pay it back because that's oh the snowball is starting
1: yeah and it was interesting because he's stealing this money from the safe and I don't know how banks work but I used to be a bookkeeper for a grocery store and every time you opened that safe you had to count every single piece of money in that safe and there was I can't remember how much how many thousands of dollars was in that safe but you had to count it you had to log it they had cameras in the room which of course they're not gonna have them in 1951 but it was just strange that people come and go from this room without logging in and it, and then they talk later on about how they um, there's gonna be an audit of the safe and I just thought it was interesting because you would think with a safe with money like that they would at the very least be counting it at the beginning of the day at the end of the day and logging who goes in and out so that if money went missing they would say oh we need to look at these guys.
0: That's how it works at the theater that I manage there you count that safe when you open and you count it when you close and but again 1951 maybe they were just more trusting or he's the comptroller or whatever the hell that is, I'm, I'm still not clear on what a comptroller is.
1: That's somebody who's in charge of the money, basically, and when we had comptrollers on base, they were like in charge of the funding. They, um, you had to go through them if you needed funding for different projects, and they just kind of were the
0: bookkeepers. Yeah, so he's not he's not the president, but he's, I guess he's semi important. He's he's like the right hand man, sort of. He's like the second in command. So maybe he thought he could cover it up using his power and place at the bank but he winds up by the time we're all said and done 14 grand in the hole to this bookie
1: yeah he ends up going to the girl's apartment to give her the thousand dollars and she does her real subtle kind of oh you're looking low and I and throughout the whole thing they refer to her as a girl I so I kept putting that in parentheses because she's clearly not a girl she's a woman but I guess 1951 she was a girl um, and she just I, it, I'm just like picking up I guess you didn't pick up on it but she was oh you're looking low let me make you a drink and it's just so I don't know corny
0: <laughs> I thought she was just taken with this not terribly dashing older man <laughs> like he's kind of a goofy looking. It was definitely the kind of—I don't know if it's, this guy was a movie star or not—but certainly the kind of star you could have in 1951. Not so much nowadays. Maybe. Well, I guess we have—we have a Steve Buscemi still running around, and he's not a terrible—he doesn't got a terribly dashing figure either.
1: There's a lot going on because it keeps going to different scenes. So then there's the next scene where the sisters um, are talking about Philip, who hit the fender of their ca- her car at the bank. Um and Chuck is pretty upset. Maybe Chuck was seeing D. I don't remember. Anyway, Dee starts going out with Philip then and so there's some drama amongst the teenagers. Um and then Dee's pretty happy because now she's got Philip. She doesn't need to get that job <laughs> because she's pretty sure she's gonna marry this son and he's the son of the bank president.
0: Yeah, he is so our man John and his boss, the bank president, wind up being in laws because his daughter Dee marries his son Philip.
1: Yeah, it was just interesting because she was really happy because she didn't need to get this job she was getting. And John is just relieved because he's thinking about the future of his daughters. Um, he goes to George. Was George the president?
0: Or is yeah. that uncle uncle George. Uncle. John's father. brother is Uncle George, they call him. Yeah, and he wants to borrow, uh, wants to borrow the $14,000 from him. But he's going on a business trip, so we can't get it to him till he comes back
1: and he's going to Hawaii so he there's really hard to reach him because you have to take a ship to get there and he's pretty much inaccessible
0: especially back then and uh so everything seems fine he's going to get the money back when uh George comes back from Hawaii but then he finds out George is delayed or already went to San Francisco it was confusing First they said he was delayed and then they said he already left and he went to San Francisco and they still can't get a hold of him.
1: Yeah, because he was on the ship. So he was delayed and so he calls the hotel and finally gets through and they tell him, oh, he's left, he's on the ship. And then John is just devastated because he was supposed to bring him $10,000. He was going to get $10,000 in bonuses um, when he returned from that trip. So his trip was delayed and then he's on a ship and there's absolutely no way for John to get a hold of him.
0: And the dramatic... Music stings when he's on this <laughs> phone call are really something—a real product of the, like the bum bum bum, kind of, on his yeah. phone calls.
1: And and then in addition to that, Philip's parents come to visit John at his home, his boss, and they're just so happy that their children are getting married and. Um, His boss lets John know that he's going to be promoted and that the bank is going to be auditing the books a week from tomorrow, which really makes John sweat because then they will figure out that there's money missing.
0: Yeah, and it'll be before Uncle George gets back. So now he's really stuck.
1: Yeah, he's definitely stuck. And so that's when he then is calling Hawaii and he... um, He ends up then getting the paper and sees that Osborne, his favorite jockey, that he had won with, he'd gotten hurt. And when Osborne got hurt is when he started losing. So he's thinking, Osborne is back. He's going to be racing today. So he takes more money from the bank comptroller uh, safe. And he calls the bookie and he puts all $2,000 to win and books a flight to New Orleans. And then there's some really fun music.
0: Yeah, the the music that plays over the f- footage of the plane is more, like, super dramatic. Like, it's just a plane flying. It's not, there's not a tornado or anything. It's fine. And then um he, well, and then we have another newspaper headline that, again, for the second time, the top headline in the newspaper is about the specific <laughs> horse or jockey. Like, this town must just revolve around this racetrack. But, yeah, that's his whole system. He doesn't bet on the horses. He bets on the jockey. He has the one jockey that he likes that won for him before he lost for him.
1: Anyway, so he's at this racetrack in New Orleans, and he's really excited. And and, uh, just the dramatics of it all. He lights a cigarette, puffs it once, and then throws it down just angry because his horse is not winning. Um, then the horse, Great Dane is the name of the horse, finds an opening and char- charging up the leaders. And he meets these drunk guys, and he's extremely happy because it looks like his guy has won. And he says...
0: Yeah, that's what you heard at the beginning, was these drunk... He had met them before at the track at, at one point. Well, first off, if you just lost the race, that's the time to finish your cigarette.
1: Well, no, he he hadn't lost it yet. The horse was losing, and he was mad, so he throws it down. But then the horse wins.
0: But still, if you're stressed out, you finish the cigarette. You don't waste it. I don't know what cigarettes cost back then, but for a man in need of money, I know t- you you finish that cigarette, man. But yeah, there's these drunks. That's what you heard at the beginning, and he says, <laughs> "Yeah, he says, that's the last race I'm ever gonna bet on.
1: I'm never betting again." And, and then, he's, he's celebrating, he's buying drinks in the bar, and then they announce that Great Dane has been disqualified, and he has lost everything. So now he needs to go back home, and his, he goes back home, and his kids are dancing, and he goes up to his room, and he looks at his late wife's picture, and um, he's just devastated. And then, the I wish I could remember her name, the girl tells him to pull out now and take the loss and he says no put a thousand dollars on long shot this horse um, and she tells him uh, that she's got this brother named Rick um, and that they, they're gonna have some big deal for him but they need he needs to come meet them and then it cuts to her and Rick and they oh, I can't remember who said this you forget darling you're my very special friend and you kind of realize that's not her brother
0: yeah, the idea is that her brother Rick supposedly has, like, sort of insider trading information. He knows this—is The is it in New Orleans is where the—his racetrack? But he knows people there, and he knows who's sick and what horses are good, so he always, he's always winning. So she hooks him up with her, air quotes, brother Rick to uh, put a big bet on $20,000 in one bet. So this way he'll win it all back. And he'll ever have everything covered, except that Rick's not her brother, because the first time they're in a room together, they start making out—odd kissing, just mushing their faces together. Really,
1: <laughs> it was funny. It just was gross. <laughs>
0: but that's that's the twist that surprised me. That well, a that she is bad and she's looking to rip this guy off. But two, it's the, she's not even working for the book anymore. Her and Rick are going to do this side deal and then peace out of town.
1: Yeah, and I th- I mean, that, was, that part kind of surprised me. I didn't think she was great and that they were setting up this love story. I, I definitely thought that there was something going on there um, that was kind of underhanded. I was surprised, though, when it suddenly turned into this thing with... Um, tricking him to get that $20,000 the horse's name was rickety rags and so he brings them the money and then he calls to see he checks in I don't did he call? he somehow checks in to see how rickety rags is doing and he's told that the horse was a late scratch so he goes back to the hotel to find Rick and um, the girl and was told that Rick's late checked out and then um, John realizes that he's been had and then there's this incredibly dramatic music
0: again anytime he's on the phone it's super dramatic music same as when he lost the, when he found out or the when he had won the bat and then it got disqualified um the real almost slow what's not slow-mo but like him dropping his tickets on the ground as they fall out of his hand like Very, very dramatic.
1: Yeah, and then he's at his desk, and he's just, you can tell he's just hit rock bottom, and he pulls this gun out of his desk drawer. And I just thought, oh my goodness, is he going to shoot himself? Because he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who'd turn a gun on somebody else. But, and this surprised me, he goes to Mary's apartment and holds Mary, that's her name, Mary and Rick at gunpoint.
0: Yeah, he's got he's like they're just on their about to head out the door like he catches them just in time they've got they each got a big bag of money and he's put the put the money on the ground and he's got him at gunpoint and stupid man lets rick go through his briefcase he's gonna you know get the, i have more money in this bag so he goes in the bag and of course rick has a gun and there's a shootout
1: yeah rick shoots john and then john shoots rick and mary shoots
0: mary as well who was not armed This man has gone from happy father bank troller, bank troller, bank comp troller, to homicidal lunatic. But he's, I mean, he's calm about it. He's not even, like, shouting at them. He's cool as a cucumber, but, yeah, he just shot two people in a matter of, I mean, I guess we don't really have a time frame, but weeks probably? So it was a hard and fast fall.
1: Yeah, and he takes the money, and he drives to Adam. That's the name of his boss. He drives to Adam's house, where they call for Dr. Fisk. He gives him the money and tells him that it's the firm's, says he deserves no pity or mercy, but that his daughters do.
0: Well, and they call call the police before they call an ambulance, which is a mistake. (laughs) Like, why... I don't know if that was protocol back then, but I mean, I understand you have a shooting victim, but he is bleeding out in your, in your lounge, in your parlor. So you might want to call the ambulance first, but they don't, they call the cops first and his boss tells the cops, go to this address. There's two more people who have been shot there, which John did not tell him. I don't know where he got this information from. John just says, I stole the money. I'm sorry. Here's the money back care of my daughters does not mention that he has killed two people but the boss knows it somehow and sends the police there before the ambulance comes
1: yeah he just and he covers for him he tells the police that he was held up and robbed um and then that he killed the the two robbers and but john never told him that i wrote that down. And he's around. a psychic <laughs> then it's a hard cut to d's wedding and it's been made it's insinuated that John died and he's not at the wedding and it's c- kind of like a morality tale don't gamble or you're gonna end up dead
0: but she's really proud of him for s- standing up to these robbers and taking out those robbers because of the story that everyone has been told is that he was this hero who so I mean it's sort of a bad ending for him but not really because he didn't really get considering he gunned gone down two people <laughs> I mean they were thieves but still and uh and that's it that's a movie from 1951 not uh not a great movie not a terrible movie quite watchable
1: yeah definitely a 1951 movie with the music and the the tale of warning not to gamble
0: Yeah, I wonder if there are other, but specifically horse racing, not gambling in general. So I'm I'm assuming there are other movies that handle, don't play poker, don't play dice, specifically. Don't bet on football. There's probably one for all of them because they were apparently making eight movies a day in the 50s. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that'll do it for $2 Better. It's time to press the button to find out what from... Everything that's streaming, we will be watching for next week. Well, maybe not we. Maybe I'll have a different guest. Can't monopolize this. It'll probably just be another white dude, which is the last thing anybody fucking needs. But anyway, pushing the button. What is this? The Titan. Oh, Netflix original movie starring Sam Worthington and the girl from, uh, oh, I'm sorry, The Woman. The woman from uh, Orange is the New Black. Ty- Tyler Schilling? Taylor Schilling? Some Netflix original sci-fi movie, The Titan. So that will be our movie for next week. That's your homework, should you choose to accept it. Have a good week.